The America's National Parks podcast is sponsored by L.L. Bean, dedicated to helping you experience all the benefits of time outside and stay more comfortable while you're out there. From soft and breathable activewear designed to do it all, to just the right layers perfect for changing weather, to sun-smart clothing that blocks the sun's harmful rays, every L.L. Bean product is made with comfortable time outside in mind. Visit LLBean.com to shop now. L.L. Bean. Be an outsider. On June 17, 1775, New England soldiers faced the British Army in a pitched battle. Bloody fighting took place throughout a hilly landscape of fenced pastures that were situated across the Charles River from Boston. Though the British were victorious, the psychological toll inflicted by American soldiers from Massachusetts, Connecticut, and New Hampshire was staggering. Of the some 2,400 British soldiers and Marines engaged, 1,000 were wounded or killed. I'm Jason Epperson, and today on America's National Parks, the Battle of Bunker Hill and the Bunker Hill Monument, part of the Boston National Historical Park. The autumn and winter of 1774 proved to be a time fraught with growing tension and close calls between the Crown and the colonies. On April 19, 1775, fighting erupted in the small Massachusetts towns of Lexington and Concord. Running skirmishes took place throughout the day as the British detachment fought their way back to their home camps in Boston, a distance of some 20 miles. Local town militias mobilized quickly to defend and assist their neighbors from British attacks. By the end of the day, British-occupied Boston lay surrounded by thousands of militiamen. As alarm spread throughout New England, as many as 20,000 men marched to Boston from modern-day Massachusetts, Maine, New Hampshire, Connecticut, and Rhode Island. By June, the British Army received expected reinforcements, and the commander, General Thomas Gage, was under pressure to break out of Boston and end the colonial uprising. The British commanders agreed on a strategy to claim the heights to the north and south of Boston as locations from where they could launch final crushing blows to the rebellion. Details of these plans leaked to the Massachusetts provincial government. Deciding to claim the hills first, a detachment of approximately 1,000 Massachusetts and Connecticut soldiers were ordered to march to Bunker Hill in Charleston on the night of June 16, 1775. Here's Abigail Trebu. Colonel William Prescott and General Ezreal Putnam were the ranking officers in the expedition to Charlestown. However, Prescott, being from Massachusetts, commanded the majority of the men. For generations, many have argued over who ultimately chose where to fortify a position on the lower, more centrally located hill known as Breed's Hill, rather than the higher prominence known as Bunker Hill. But on that night, construction began sometime around midnight as hundreds of men with pickaxes and shovels constructed a redoubt, or little more than an earthen mound, atop the lower hill overlooking the settlement of Charlestown and the beaches along the harbor. At dawn, lookouts on British warships and sentries in Boston quickly noticed the new redoubt constructed within cannon range of the north end of Boston. Early cannon fire upon the fortification quickly awoke the town and countryside. By mid-morning, General Gage had decided to assemble troops and mount an attack to clear this threat. 
While a cannonade from British ships in Copse Hill began to bombard the area of the redoubt, Prescott ordered his men to continue to expand the fort and dig in for an eventual assault. As the day progressed, units received conflicting orders whether to stay or reinforce the men under Prescott. Because Charlestown was a peninsula, it was very risky to send too many men to a place that could be easily cut off by a successful British attack. Yet with some 2,400 British soldiers assembling in Boston for transport to Charlestown, Prescott's numbers dwindled as men began fleeing the sea under the bombardment. By midday, the first wave of boats carrying British soldiers landed. They assembled out of musket range and awaited the second wave of troops. General William Howe was given command of the field by Gage, sending his forces in two waves. One force would advance on the redoubt as a feint. A second would march to the right through an open pasture and flank, surround and crush the resistance inside. The tall grass, however, covered up many of the hazards and obstacles that faced Howe's men in the flanking attack. Desperately needed colonial reinforcements were soon arriving under the command of New Hampshire Colonel John Stark. Rather than send his men into the redoubt with Prescott, Stark led his command of roughly 800 men to a fence in a downhill pasture to Prescott's left. This put Stark's men at the opposite end of the very same pasture Howe had hoped to exploit in the flanking attack. By early afternoon, Howe felt he had enough men to launch his assault. As the British forces began their advance, the cannonade from Copps Hill and British warships ceased. Marching in straight lines, the two wings had to negotiate fences and other obstacles as they slowly neared the rebels. The men from Massachusetts, Connecticut, and New Hampshire were ordered to hold their fire until the enemy drew so close that their musket fire would have its most devastating effect. It was at this time, legend claims, that one of the commanding officers from the colonies ordered, don't fire until you see the whites of their eyes. The musket fire proved devastating when the advancing British came into range. The pasture that was supposed to be the avenue for a flanking attack became a pen of slaughter. On the hill, fire from both the redoubt and from buildings at the edge of the abandoned settlement of Charlestown harassed the faint attack as well. At one point, Prescott ordered his men to cease fire. Uncertain whether the colonists had fled the redoubt, British units marched closer, only to receive another heavy volley of fire. Meanwhile, British gunners trained their cannon on the abandoned town and set the buildings ablaze with red-hot heated cannonballs to drive out skirmishers. Howe was forced to order a withdrawal when all momentum was lost. After regrouping his forces, a final assault marched to the left of the redoubt rather than the right. As the British forces increased pressure, men inside were exhausted and running desperately low on ammunition. As British soldiers mounted the walls, they engaged with bayonets in a bloody melee. Any colonists able to flee ran as the British pursued. The British forces gave chase as far as the next hill, Bunker Hill. Survivors and forces that never engaged regrouped on the mainland on hills opposite Bunker Hill. Both sides awaited a counter-assault or follow-up attack. Neither came. The battle lasted for no more than two hours, yet the results were horrifying. 
Over a thousand British soldiers were killed or wounded. Many of the wounded would die over the next days, weeks, and months. Of the roughly 1,600 provincial soldiers, some three to 500 were killed, wounded, or captured. Among the dead at Bunker Hill was Patriot leader Joseph Warren. Warren, a physician turned political activist, had become the preeminent leadership figure in the revolutionary Massachusetts government. A commission as a major general had just been approved for Warren. However, he fought and died as a foot soldier inside the redoubt during the battle. His death proved to be a serious blow to the cause. In July, General George Washington arrived in Cambridge to assume command of a new Continental Army and direct the ongoing campaign at Boston. General Gage was eventually recalled to London to answer for the outcome of the battle. General Howe, the field commander at Bunker Hill, assumed command. Howe was unwilling to repeat another disaster he witnessed firsthand at Bunker Hill, and Washington lacked the supplies to mount any offensive. So the siege of Boston stalled into a stalemate. It would not be until March of 1776 that the siege came to an end. After acquiring over 50 pieces of artillery from Fort Ticonderoga during the winter, General George Washington ordered men to fortify Dorchester Heights to the south of Boston overnight. The position proved even more formidable than the one at Charlestown, and Howe ultimately decided to evacuate Boston entirely. The event at Dorchester Heights ended the campaign at Boston, but the war would continue for another seven long years. The Battle of Bunker Hill was a loss for colonists, but it proved to both them and the British that they could win and showed how a scrappy young army that didn't care too much about the rituals of war, like not shooting officers and marching in straight lines, would be a much more formidable opponent than they may have realized. The first monument on the site was an 18-foot wooden pillar with a gilt urn erected in 1794 by King Solomon's Lodge of Masons to honor fallen patriot and Freemason Dr. Joseph Warren. In 1823, a group of prominent citizens formed the Bunker Hill Monument Association to construct a more permanent and significant monument to commemorate the famous battle. The Marquis de Lafayette set the cornerstone of what would become a lasting monument and tribute to the memory of the Battle of Bunker Hill. The project was ambitious. Construct a 221-foot-tall obelisk built entirely from quarried granite. The Monument Association ran out of funds and was forced to halt construction twice. Much of the land surrounding the square where the monument stands today had to be sold off as housing lots to help fund it. Fairs, performing arts events, and fundraising drives were also organized to help complete the monument, which didn't happen until 1842. It was dedicated on June 17, 1843 in the major national ceremony. A statue to Dr. Joseph Warren was commissioned in the 1850s to pay particular respects to his sacrifice in the battle. The statue was initially housed in a temporary structure, but by 1901 or 1902, the Monument Association constructed a permanent granite lodge to house it. It took over 17 years to complete, but the Bunker Hill Monument still stands to this day atop a prominence of the battlefield now known as Breed's Hill, marking the site where the provincial forces constructed the earthen readout. 
This episode of America's National Parks was hosted by me, Jason Epperson, with narration by Abigail Trebu. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search National Park Podcast. You can also join our America's National Parks Facebook group. For more great American destinations, give us a listen at the Sea America Podcast. And if you're interested in RV travel, find us at the RV Miles Podcast. You can also follow Abigail and me as we travel the country with our three boys all over social media as our wandering family. Today's show was sponsored by L.L. Bean. Follow the hashtag BeAnOutsider and visit LLBean.com to find great gear for exploring the national parks. Mm -hmm.